So continuing on, God through the generations for the thousands of years, he's been a restraining factor. He sets the limit. He's cut off people and nations to keep them from corrupting too much of the world. He has the right to do this. He doesn't always, most men and women, he lets them live out the natural life by the natural laws. Every time someone dies, it doesn't mean God appointed them to die. It means God permitted them. He's not intervening. People think everything, no, they have choices. If you stand up on a building and you know what gravity does and you say, well, Lord, I'm going to jump and you'll protect me. Well, you're not going to be protected. You're going to squash yourself on the pavement. It don't mean God determined you to do that. That means you chose to do that. Remember, Jesus said when he was talking about wickedness, he says, you know, those 18 people that died when that tower collapsed, it was a, a building of three or four stories and evidently it wasn't built too well. And they were doing things, and it collapsed and killed 18 of them. Well, back then, and even today, people think when someone has a, a tragic death or violent, that it's God punished them. It's not always the case. And he said, do you think they were more wicked? He was giving them a thought. And then he says, but you shall die likewise if you don't repent. He means your life will be cut off at random. Your life will be cut off for abuse and natural laws. So whoever built that tower didn't know what he was doing, and the natural laws didn't hold up. So he's just saying many people die, but unless you repent. If you repent and you serve the Lord, then you cannot die by chance. You cannot die but by his permission, whether it be his perfect will or permissive will, it's under his control. But he doesn't interfere with much of the world and how they live. But he lets extremely wicked people live a long time. He doesn't always judge. Sometimes he keeps them around to punish other wicked people. That's what he did with Stalin and Hitler and Mao. They basically lived pretty good up till the end. Stalin had a stroke and died on his couch. Mao died peacefully. Hitler decided to kill himself because he didn't want to be captured. But they lived out their lives. And can you imagine the horror and the wickednesses they did? And you can imagine their punishment in the lake of fire is going to far exceed anybody else's of humans. And then you got the angels that fell. They're going to experience more because of the knowledge and the graces that they once walked in. Okay? So nations and people have been judged and cut off by God to restrain this extreme power of evil, but not so when the man of sin appears, okay? God's restraining will cease to a great degree, and he will allow him to take over with demon influence and with the devil behind him. He'll rule, and he will subdue nations that don't want to be subdued, but he will act, and the false prophet will do signs and wonders to validate him and who he is, okay? And people are gullible and they'll believe it. And we'll see soon why they'll believe it. But right now, verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed from the Lord and the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So that's the end of the Antichrist rule. 
those seven years as though he's ruled the world and oppressed. When the Lord returns, it says that he will be judged. And we'll see this. How will we judge? It said, by the appearance of his coming and the breath from his mouth, he will speak the word either die or consign him into hell. But that's what's going to happen. His judgment will be intimate and personal at that time. Okay? And he will be revealed. The Lord will come and slay. And at the end of this period, too, when he comes back, he will destroy most of the wicked people on the earth. And there'll be many of them. Okay? So the world as a whole will follow the Antichrist, a man fully and willingly possessed by Satan himself. No other person's been controlled by him. But he does it by consent, remember. Yet at the end, after many judgments, and God pours out his woes, and the angel brings forth wrath upon the uh, nations of the wicked people, he will finally come as the king and judge, and he will slay the world of sinners and the person of the Antichrist and the false prophet, he'll simply say die to them, and they will be the first for a thousand years in the lake of fire. Now, hell's different. Hell and death, it says, will be cast into the lake of fire. So whatever hell is now, the lake of fire is going to be worse. That's going to be the final end, okay? And verse 9, and the one who's coming is according to the activity of Satan, that's the Antichrist, with all power and signs and false wonders. So he's going to be given a lot of abilities, and God is not going to have in it. He's going to let it come forth. And there's a reason for this, and the wicked will believe and be destroyed, and it's their own fault. We're going to see what the Lord does. This person has a will and power, and he wants the devil to rule him. The false prophet is inspired by some high demon, and he will empower him to do false signs and wonders. So false and demonic does not mean that it is not supernatural. People think it's imitation or it's not real. No, it has some power to it. It's just false means it's against God's word or against his truth. But there are signs and wonders that he'll be able to perform. Okay, and he's going to convince the world of wicked people. So when God's restraint is withdrawn, evil and the lies will prevail. When the spirit of truth removes and the salt of the earth, there's going to be wickedness. Demons will be able to influence people, and their intellect ain't going to mean much. See, it's a spiritual thing. There is no spiritual vacuum in spiritual realms. You're either for God or against him. You're either seeking the truth or you don't want the truth. And those who do not want the truth and resisted it, they're going to be opened up to these demons and they're going to freely give themselves just like the Antichrist does to the devil. They think it's going to be wonderful and powerful and they will be marvelous. And we're going to see it's not going to be that way, okay? And they will come with false wonders, and verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, the wicked of the world, because they did not receive the love of the truth 
so as to be saved. As I've said before, people are not judged and sent to hell because they didn't hear the gospel. That's a false concept. It's because they did not obey the gospel or they did not obey the conscience that God gave them. If they had obeyed the lesser light, they would have been given more. Everyone. Paul says the those who didn't have the gospel, he said their conscience will either excuse them or accuse them. And some will be excused. They have walked in their conscience the best they can. And when they did wrong, they tried to make amends and God considered this. And the blood of Christ covers this. And those under the old covenants, they didn't have Christ. The Gentile world didn't, but they were righteous Gentiles like Joe and others. Now, it's astounding that when Joseph and Jacob were living and they were in the covenant, that Job most likely lived in Arabia somewhere. And God said, he's the most righteous on the earth. There's none like him. That meant he was more righteous than the patriarchs in his lifestyle. They were in covenant, and that's fine. And God used them, but there was none like Job. And isn't that interesting that he wasn't a Jew and he wasn't a Christian, but he obeyed his moral consciousness. He understood and still believed in the God Almighty. Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. That was before Abraham. He came on the scene and Abraham paid tithes. And Hebrews says he was greater than Abraham. He was a king and a priest before Almighty God. Isn't that astounding? But God does things differently. So even in the world that never heard of Jehovah, of the Jewish God, or even the Christian God, Christ, which one and the same, God judges them at a different standard. And if they're not caught up into wicked, their conscience tells them that until they defile it and abuse it. So some will make it. Paul said they will be excused. Don't mean they're perfect. Don't mean they never fail. It meant that standard they walked by, God considered it enough. He even winked at the nations because they weren't given the privileges of others. So he judged them on a lower standard. But the Jews and the Christian, he expects more. And so if they fall away and don't serve him, their punishments could be greater. That's why Peter said it's better not to have known the Lord, did the depart from his commandment, the Christ, the gospel. He said, it's better that you never were born again if you fall away, because you're going to be punished greatly, severely. You're going to be punished more than any non-Christian in the world in general. We're not talking about the dictators, the serial, the extreme wicked, but the general wicked of the world, the punishments could be greater for the backslider that has had the blood of Christ and the spirit of grace in him, and then he has insulted the spirit of grace. He's crucified Christ afresh. Now, this is what's going to happen when there's a fallen away. This is what these people are going to do. They will want true Christians, and they will fall for the Antichrist and the false prophet later. And then because they'll be so motivated by these demons, they won't even think about that they were saved. They'll say, oh, I was just a religious experience. That didn't mean nothing. They'll be blinded to these things. See, because the demons can do that. 
The God of this world, Paul said, have blinded them lest they should see. Phil does this, and he can do it to the backslider. Okay. So all deceptions and lies convincing these things will be real to the evil. See, they have no protection of the spirit of truth. They've already filed their conscience. They've rejected whatever gospel they got and whatever their conscience was trying to tell them, they opposed it. They didn't want it. Said they love not the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. That means they were given some. Like I say, either conscience or gospel, they're not going to be able to stand and say, well, I didn't hear it, Lord. And like we said before, Jesus said, as a whole, men love darkness rather than light. And they will not come to the light lest they be reproved. See, they choose not to come to the truth because they don't want to be corrected. They want to live their own lives and do as they please. They want to find their life. But it didn't say they can't come to the truth. That's what God holds them responsible. And if you see the light and you avoid it, as far as God is concerned, you've had the light. They're not going to be to say, well, I didn't hear, hear the gospel, that a judgment is going to say, but you didn't want the light, and you revealed that, so you're guilty. So that's how it's going to stand. See, they won't have no real words. They'll be speechless, and the horror will come upon them when they recognize the truth, and it's too late to do anything about it, okay? They did not want the truth. They did not love it. They did not obey it. It could have and would have saved them. But they resisted and insulted the spirit of truth by their conscience and by their rejection of the gospel of Christ when it was given. Okay? I just want to remind us, I quoted it, but go to the gospel of John. Chapter 3, verse 19, so you'll understand. And this is the condemnation that the truth, the light, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. They love the lie rather than the truth. Because they reveal that by their actions, because their deeds are evil. So by their actions, they prove what they believe. Mm Mm-hmm. And 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the truth or the light, and he does not come to the light, the truth, lest his deeds should be exposed. So he's self-righteous. He enjoys the pleasures of sin. He don't want to be controlled. He gives over to his wicked nature, and the devil helps him along, the demons. Okay? But notice this is everyone practicing Now, Paul makes it very plain. In Galatians, Ephesians, and Corinthians, he names a whole bunch of sins, and he's talking to Christians. He said, and if you practice these things, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking to Christians. If you make this a way of life and a habit, why will you not make it into the kingdom? Because you're not saved. If you live that way, you're evil. And then at one of the ends, he says, they were disobedient. He said, don't be partakers with them. He's telling the Christian, if you partake of these things, then you will get the judgment they got, eternal death. He's talking to Christians. So people need to wake up. And all of this stuff 
He'll save me. He loves me unconditionally. And once saved, always saved. These are doctrines of demons. And they're not going to hold any water of truth at God's judgment. They'll just deceive people now. So man, even in a falling state and a corrupt nature, is still able to respond to God's dealings, yet most do not. So he's saying he recognizes this. But like he told Cain, uh, overcome it, to subdue it. Uh, He didn't ask Cain to be perfect. He expected him to sacrifice and recognize his failures, but he was able, like Abel was righteous and did that. He fought and resisted the wickedness that would tempt him. And he was able to do it under the system God had. He put restraints on what even the devil could do. So they were held accountable. Cain was accountable. Jesus said the devil was a murderer in the beginning. He means at the beginning of mankind, it was the devil, Satan, that tempted Cain to kill Abel and murder him. And he did. But he didn't have to. And he couldn't have made him do it. But he appealed to his anger and his self-righteousness and his jealousy. And he forgot what God told him. As Eve forgot, the Lord said, you shall not eat it. Now, some people say when she said, nor touch it, that she added something. We don't know. God may have said, don't touch it. Everything's not recorded. She understood she's not to eat this thing. And maybe he did tell her you're not to touch it either. Once, you know, when you go shopping in the store, they put certain items on certain levels because it's more likely if you touch those items, you'll buy it. Oh, isn't that interesting? See, they, and they put all the candy and stuff at the checkout center so the babies and children can scream and cry. And to shut them up, you buy them a candy bar. They, they know all of this stuff. They're, they're trained in covetousness, just like the false prophets and teachers are. They know how to make money. The people of the world are wiser when it comes to money than the children of light because it's a God to them, because it's a power, it's a love. It becomes idolatry. That's why they're smarter with it, okay? So these people refuse the truth, avoid the truth, and they're evil, and they love it. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Those who respond to some grace will get more. He that is faithful and little will be given much more. While Jesus said it, he said, To him that has shall be given, and he that does not have, even that will be taken from him. So the person rejects the gospel, even what he has, his life here, his pleasures and sin, his joy or happiness in this life will be taken away when he's cast into the lake of fire. He'll lose even that. So that's what he's saying is going to happen. So we're seeing then, so wicked man refuses grace and truth, so it will one day be taken away. It will be confined and limited. The evil person will not have the truth and grace and hope by the Holy Spirit's working in him. And even those who fall away, and there will be a fall away, they lose their salvation. And what they had, they had Christ and the Spirit. They had promises of eternal life. They lose that in the lake of fire, okay? So God shuts the door of grace like he shut the door on Noah's ark. 
It wasn't Noah who shut the door. It says God shut it. So even if people were banging on it when the waters arise, and we believe, we believe, let us in. Noah couldn't have opened the door for him. It wasn't his concern. It was God who said, enough's enough. And when the foolish virgins come knocking, it was too late. He shut the door and he said, I don't know you. But he did once know him, but he doesn't know him anymore, okay? Know him in relationship, not in knowledge. Like we said, we see things on television and we think we know this actor and, and this movie and we know the presidents and we know, we don't know them. We've never met them most likely. We know about them, but we have no relationship. And that's how it is with most professing Christians. They know a little doctrine. They know about God, but they don't obey him or they don't follow him. So he don't know them. Okay. He said, I never knew you. That's the masses of Christianity. Never. Means you weren't born again or regenerated. So he shuts the door. The lovers of pleasure, evil doing, the self-centered, given over to self-gratification, it will end and everlasting punishment will follow. Even what they have will be taken from them. Sinners will no longer enjoy their evil pleasures. They took the gifts of God and perverted them. I'll give you one example, which of Hebrews. See, man perverts God's gifts. We see that in every, everything that God gave and was good. But the lovers of sin and pleasure, they pervert it. They misuse it. Hebrews 13, a good example. Verse 4, marriage is honorable among everyone, and the bed is undefiled. It's holy, the sex relationship. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Fornication, and even adultery comes from a, a word that means fornicate. It means any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage. That ends it. Don't matter if it's a married person or a single person. Doesn't matter if it's a male on a male. Homosexuality. Doesn't matter if a married man's sneaking around with a married woman. Anything out of the marriage bond and sexual relationships with another human, what does it say? Read it. Understand it. God will judge. And if he judges this, the Bible already tells us the fornicator and the adulteress will be turned into hell. The lake of fire will be their end. So that's just one area. Man has taken goods and been covetous and greedy and won't help others but loves to live in luxury. He takes the moderation that God gives and he gives he squanders it and destroys it, and he wastes it on his self-indulgent nature when he could have used it for godly things. So everything that he does, he's perverted something God gave. And you can see why God is going to appoint wrath, eternal vengeance and holiness, because he has to watch this. Can you imagine? He watches 8 billion people every day, 24 hours a day. He sees everything they do. He's grieved at their evil. It makes him angry. The scripture says the wrath of God abides on them. See, if God so loved the world, he sought to redeem it, his goodwill. 
but he despises the wicked soul that continue. People think, oh God, you hear this all the time. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. That's not a general statement all the time. Psalms tells us the violent person and the murderer, it says God hates his soul. His soul hates him. So start thinking about this. People give themselves. And Jesus said, and if they do not obey or believe the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. It doesn't mean, but he's not exercising. He's holding it. He's letting them store up wrath, but he's not forgetting anything. He doesn't. He can't. So you can see why he's going to avenge them in hell, his holiness. He had to put up with all of this stuff. He had to listen to this garbage because he sees all. And it says, and the smoke of their torment when they're in the lake of fire will ascend before the lamb and his angels forever. They will see God's holiness and his wrath has been executed against the wicked. And they will honor God and say, holiness has been upheld. And that's God's nature. He doesn't seek to change it. So people need to be careful misguiding wicked people, thinking God, oh, he can't, while they're living in extreme wickedness, God is keeping account. And he can cut your soul off anytime and judge you in wrath. He can do the exception. Well, the demons that Jesus cast out, they were afraid of Jesus. They said, we know you're the Holy One of God. That was the Lord. They said, what if you come to torment us before the appointed time? They know they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And they didn't have no reason not to believe that Jesus could have put them there then. But they were terrorized. They know what's waiting for them. Okay? So the wrath of God, Paul warns us several times to flee from the wrath of God, to avoid the wrath of God, that Jesus has saved us from the wrath of God. And that's the ones who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So he shuts the door, and there's a time he says, enough's enough. They took the gifts of God and perverted them. Oh, another one real quickly. I should have stayed there. Hebrews 13, verse 5. This is following the what he talked about. Let your conduct, your lifestyle, be without covetousness. That means let it be without prosperity doctrines. Let it be without maturity. Don't be caught up in it. Use the world, but don't let the world use you. Prosperity people, they basically teach materialism, which is idolatry. They're caught up in the things of this world, money, power, they think they're going to have that here and in the next room. A lot of the prosperity people, I imagine they believe when they get to heaven, they'll spend eternity with a wheelbarrow running around picking up gold bricks to build the bigger mansions. Well, they're deceived. They're greedy. Things. And why is that? Well, let's read what it says. Be content with such things as you have. For he said to you himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Coveting opposes God. We are to be satisfied with God's providence. If we cannot get God to change something by prayer, we are to accept it. If we have certain things, we can use them within moderation. And God isn't into people taking a vow of poverty. It'll prove nothing. God isn't into people hiding away in a cave, avoiding everybody. That ain't nothing. 
There's no credit to that. We're to serve the Lord wherever he places us. But he said, be content. And Paul said, godliness with contentment's the great gain, not money. The lovers of money will be turned into hell. Those who are controlled by power and money. And you that would be rich, he's talking to Christians, fall into many lustful hurts that drown men in hell. He spoke about seven times clearly on riches and a Christian, and not once did he encourage it. But twice he implies if you have it, then you better use it. He said, and use it for good and store up to yourself a good foundation. He's implying if you don't use that wealth that you've got properly, you won't get eternal life because you're proven, like James says, you don't have the faith. If you don't help your brethren and help people, and how can you say the love of God dwells in you? So it makes it very plain. So we are to use whatever station we're in. If we're given much, it needs to be rich in good works. So the person that's given more, God expects more. And he said, as you give God's grace, he can give you more, return it to you. And people stop right there. That's the prosperity people. Oh, he'll return everything to me. They never read the second part of that verse, that you'll have all gifts for liberality. He said he's increasing that for his kingdom. He didn't say to squander on your luxury. But again, John says, God gives us all things richly to enjoy. So within its scope, within its moderation, we can enjoy what God gives us. But we're not to over-enjoy it. We're the Lord's, remember. We're his stewards. And we have to be careful. He don't want just the 10%. He owns everything. It's nice that if you want to give 10%. But he might want you to give everything. If you've got millions, he may say, uh, there was a story years ago. Guy made lots of money, millions and millions. He was a Christian. And after he made so many millions, he told the Lord, I'm going to give you 10% of everything because you prospered me. And in the night when he was praying, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want 90%. You keep to 10. And that's what he did. He gave millions. 90% of his money he gave because he said, oh, that's the Lord's will. And if you got 10% and you got millions of dollars, you ain't got nothing to worry about. And if you do worry about it, you're a greedy, covetous idolater as far as the scripture's concerned. Okay? Greed and covetous and love of money is idolatry. And as Paul said, and you know, no idolater will make it into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot love God and mammon was the demon of riches. You cannot serve them both. But the prosperity people think you can, and they go about trying it. And I worked and was around many of those people. And year after year, I never see no spirituality. All they talk about is the new home they got and the new car they got and how God's blessing them. And one woman told me one time, and I refuted her, she said, when we get to heaven and we have our mansions God will give us angels to cling to place and take care of it for us. Can you imagine such blasphemy? You think the angels don't have nothing better to do than to wipe the dust off your furniture in heaven? They're deceived. They're coveting and they're given over to lying spirits. 
We're going to stop now because I want to spend more time on the next verse. It's very important, and I don't want to be rushed on this verse. Uh, Let's stop here. Lord, give us wisdom for the times we live in. Give us the spirit to discern good and evil and to be able to manage things properly and not go to excesses in anything and not to be captivated by the world system. Uh, In Jesus' name, help us. Amen.